I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word to the Gospel of John. We are going to focus this morning on John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read, however, a little bit from chapter 1, and I'm going to read a little bit further into chapter 3 than simply what we are focusing on this morning. From John chapter 1, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but were born of God. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have sent your Son, who was the embodiment and the fulfillment of the words of life. He is the very essence of life who was made flesh and who has come to bear witness to what he knows to be true of our triune God 
and is what is required in order to receive a share of the inheritance of the saints in light. And so we bless you that you in Christ have made us participants in the life, love, and mission of the triune God. And you have done so through the giving of your word. And so use this word within us, Lord, that for those of us who are in Christ, we would be encouraged to live up to that new life we have in him. And if there are any dry bones here today, Lord, that these words would be used to give them new life. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Clay prayed, today is the first Lord's Day of the new year. How did you do this week? The first week of the new year where the newness of things is, is so often becomes the focus of trying to live new lives. G.K. Chesterton once wrote, The object of a new year is not that we should have a new year. It is that we should have a new soul and a new nose, new feet, a new backbone, new ears, and new eyes. As one writer has said, the New Year's Day is the most popular time of the year for people to hit the the proverbial reset button. Some resolve to lose weight, while others resolve to improve other areas of their lives. Why do you think this is? There are so many answers that that you can find that are given. But I think if you are understanding the world from the Christian worldview, what we have to acknowledge is that there is this inherent craving for the new that is the result of the awareness of the old. We live in a world that is not the same as it was originally created or as it was originally purposed. And we, as the treasured possession of God's creation, the height of that creation in the creation week, being made in his image, male and female, we have not lived up to, nor are we experiencing the original intention for for why he created and what he had offered. And the result is both the world itself and humanity in particular are suffering under the hand of the presence of sin and the curse that comes from a holy God against the sin. To sum it up in one word, you cannot in this life escape the stench of death. Death is all around us. Death is in our own bodies. 
which is why so often when when we hurt, we go to the doctor. And why so often it's not just a, a simple this or that, but quite frequently can be the diagnosis of cancer. Cancer, which in and of itself is death at work within the body to kill it. We cannot escape death. We can't escape it from our bodies. We can't escape it from our relationships. There is not one person in this room that can say that you have experienced a perfectly loving relationship with anyone else in this life, let alone anyone else in this room. I mean, the Apostle Paul reminds us in Titus 3 that even as though as those who are the recipients of new life in Jesus Christ, those who have been purified of our sins through the work of Christ and the application of that work of the Spirit, those who have received baptism, we don't live up to the substance and to the reality of those things. And we can get caught up in quarrels and fighting and bickering. Not just the recipients of hate from those who are outside, but as he said very specifically, hating one another. We are agents of hate, even within a a new status and a new identity in Jesus Christ. We cannot escape death. And so there is this inherent craving within us as those who were created for eternal life, but who are living in the inescapable stench of death. There is this desire for the old to pass away and for the new to come. The question is, how do you get there? Does it come from your efforts? Does it come from your circumstances just changing? Does something have to happen to the other person? that you're trying to relate to? I think we all recognize that something needs to happen to us. But apart from Christ, what Jesus is telling Nicodemus and what he's telling us here in John chapter 3 is that if we are left up to ourselves, we have no hope of escaping death. We have no means towards new life. One writer this week, in talking about the newness of the new year and and why people so often engage in, in these New Year's resolutions, is that most people want a second chance to improve the quality of their lives. 
The new year offers a blank slate, an opportunity to get things right. When we set New Year's resolutions, we are utilizing a very important concept called self-efficacy, which means that by virtue of aspiring to a goal and following through on it, I have a sense of control over what is happening in my life. That sounds good. If I decide that this year I'm, I'm going to lose some weight, if I actually follow through with losing some weight, what do I get to do? I get to celebrate what I did through my efforts. And that's a good thing, by the way. God designed us to, to work this way. We actually get a release of, of dopamine within, within our brain when we pursue things this way because God created us to function this way. And even in the fallen state, we are not completely broken. And so there is a sense in which if I set my mind to something and I accomplish it, I get a release of dopamine and I get those good feelings. The problem is... God designed us to function this way, not so that we would celebrate our own self-efficacy, but it might direct us away from ourselves to him. And that is what you and I need on a constant basis, day after day after day. And that is striving to live with God, with our neighbor, according to what God has revealed and experiencing the, the good feelings when, when we do well with that, but also the recognition that you and I cannot and we do not do it perfectly. So that we are constantly pointed back to our need for God's grace. God's grace is not an escape from responsibility. God's grace is, is not, does not give us a reason to just kick back in our spiritual lazy boys and, and do whatever we want because we're just trusting in Jesus. God's grace is an empowerment to follow him and to to grow more and more into what he already counts us to be in Jesus Christ. But we need these constant reminders that, that we are incomplete in and of ourselves and that we need something outside of ourselves. We need to look away from ourselves. But we don't want to look away from ourselves to just something else. We want to look to the only source that can provide us what our hearts have been designed to crave and yet in our fallen state have been corrupted from finding. To put it another way, as Jesus here in talking to Nicodemus says, we, we have two very, very big problems. 
we are in and of ourselves spiritually blind and we are spiritually powerless. We are like dead men's bones languishing in a desert existence, powerless in and of themselves to reconnect and to grow tissue. That is the picture of God's people, but it's also the picture of humanity itself that is unfolded in Ezekiel 37 that we read moments ago, that because of sin and because of the inescapability of, uh, of death, we, we are those who are in and of ourselves dead. We are like those dry bones in a dry and weary land. And we are powerless to change that existence. And this is why we look away from ourselves to the God who can, as he says there, through the speaking of his word, cause dead, powerless bones to be brought back together and to regrow flesh and to be made fit for God's presence. We are spiritually blind in and of ourselves. For we are incapable in and of ourselves of, of seeing the realities of who God is and, and what he is doing. And so what we need, as promised in the, the new covenant in Ezekiel 36, what you and I need is for God, who is outside of us, to work on us. And what he promises is to do that by entering into us, by giving us not just a new external body, but giving us new hearts. Hearts that are not hardened in sin and death, but hearts that are soft and alive. And he promises this through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, who in coming upon us cleanses us from all of our uncleannesses. Not simply that there was a washing of the body, even though there was a washing of the body. A lot of the imagery in Ezekiel 36, which is imagery that comes up in John 3, is coming from those purity laws when you look back in the book of Leviticus. That because of the state of sin and death, when bodies had certain discharges, fluids, especially blood, it would make someone ceremonially unclean. And, and because of that, they could not come to the tabernacle. And they had, there was a process by, by whichever had been the cause of the uncleanness. What we are told is that God had a provision. And in all of those provisions, the work of the priest would involve a ritual washing, the use of water to, to picture an actual cleansing 
that by faith was to be received by the worshiper as being something that wasn't just happening to their body, but something that God was doing for their soul. And when you read through the purity laws of the Old Testament, hopefully you get very frustrated. Well, man, you just simply turn the wrong way and you're unclean. You, you simply sit on the wrong chair. Someone who didn't know that they, they had a problem had sat on the chair and they had walked away and then you sat on the chair. Later you found out that they had a problem, they were unclean, you realize, well, now I'm unclean too. It was nearly impossible to live clean. And that's the point. In the estate of sin and death, we cannot live clean in and of ourselves. And, and so these purity laws were meant to prepare the people of God for the coming Messiah. And they were meant to picture through the use of water that the old and the dirty was not the only existence that people looked forward to. That there was something new that would come. And that newness would be so new that it would completely overwhelm all of their uncleannesses. Not just the uncleanness of the body, but the broken heart itself. And so through water, and the Spirit, the people of God, were, were being trained to look outside of themselves, to look to the God who had made promises that would do everything necessary in order to not only restore what was lost in Adam, but to provide something that Adam never could have achieved. And so even in the book of Revelation, as, as redemptive history is being shown, being brought to its end point, the people of God once again are being directed to the realities of water and the Spirit in order that we might know our place in God's kingdom, the hope that belongs to us, and that one day we will actually be clean and not just reckoned to be clean. One day, beloved, you will not just be counted to be righteous in Jesus Christ, but you will actually be righteous. And so water and the Spirit are directed to us, not only for the need that we have for God to act upon us and to act within us, but are provided to us to help us really resonate with understanding who we are in Christ and the new life that comes in Christ and the eternal righteousness that we will express when all things are made new. Until that day comes, beloved, we are called to look outside of ourselves 
to the work of God in Christ as applied through the Spirit and pictured to us through the image of water. Jesus tells us because of our spiritual blindness and because of our spiritual powerlessness that we have to be born again or born from above. The word that's used here means both. Nicodemus, in, in looking at, you know, listening to Jesus, asks a question that some think he was asking because he was being a smart aleck. Other people think that he gen, genuinely wanted to know. We don't know. But he asks a question that comes to mind. Well, what do you mean, born again? Do I climb back into my mother's womb? It was bad enough for her coming out at nine pounds. Imagine now. And what does Jesus tell us? Unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot see and you cannot enter. Now this is huge. Who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to Nicodemus, who was a member of the Sanhedrin, meaning he was a member of the 70 leaders of Israel. He was a Pharisee. He was known for, for engaging in the purity laws. He was the teacher of Israel. Not only was he as, as a leader and, and as a Pharisee, you know, engaging in the, the, the pursuit of, of personal righteousness, he, he was supposed to be leading others into that pursuit. He was a guide. And yet somehow, Nicodemus had missed the biggest point of the Old Testament with regard to the purity laws with regards to the promise of the new covenant, with regards to the promise of the Holy Spirit entering someone's life, sprinkling clean their uncleannesses and giving them a new heart. And that is that Nicodemus himself did not have an inherent right to the kingdom of God, nor could he be one experiencing that kingdom unless he himself was born again? To put it another way, Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, don't you understand that you are excluded from God's kingdom? Oof. Oof. And Nicodemus struggles with it. What, what, what do you mean? How does this happen? What do, you, what do you mean? What has to happen? But the promise of God was always that something new would come. And through the picture of the cleansing of water, where the outside of the flesh would be washed of dirt, 
so the indwelling of the Holy Spirit would make new the heart and the soul. This has always been God's promise. This has always been the expectation of God's people. And yet here, the teacher of Israel has gotten caught up in the externals of what God has revealed while disconnecting the external from the internal. But what Jesus reminds us of is this newness that we need and this newness that we we naturally crave is a newness that comes from outside of us and goes into the very depths of who we are so that we are no longer excluded from God's kingdom but now included in God's kingdom. So that we are no longer spiritually blind, but now have a new sense, a a spiritual sensibility in which things that we could not grasp apart from the work of the Spirit, we now grasp by faith. And we grow in that as we continue to cultivate the life of Christ through the presence of the Spirit within our lives. Where we were spiritually powerless, we now have the very life of Christ dwelling within us by which when we walk by faith, we are able to grow in living up to this new identity that we have in him. Jesus here, I don't believe, is putting baptism itself before Nicodemus. But what he is putting before Nicodemus is the substance of the new covenant that baptism is the sign and seal of. And so throughout history, you can read interpreters who will say that when Jesus says water and the spirit, that people that Jesus is saying you've got to come through baptism and and the new birth. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he is using the Old Testament uh, imagery and expectations of the need of cleansing, something coming out from outside, and that something that comes being the Holy Spirit as pictured in water. And as we come to the fount today, that is what baptism is a sign and seal of. It is a sign that you need to be born again. And it is a seal that though you are blind and powerless in and of yourself through the mystery of God's activity, he does for us what we can't see and what we can't do for ourselves. And in the sign and seal of baptism, what what we are doing is looking outside of ourselves to that new covenant promise and reality that has been made yes and amen because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. At the time in which Jesus says this to Nicodemus, he has not yet gone to the cross. He has not yet been raised from the dead. And so what does he tell Nicodemus? It's like that serpent that had to be raised in the wilderness 
so that the, those who had engaged in rebellion against God would simply look upon the serpent and be made new. That Jesus, the Son of Man, is going to be lifted up. And when he is lifted up on the cross, but then lifted up out of the grave, and then lifted up to his throne in the heavenly places, that this is what God uses to call the nations. Not just Israel, but to call the nations out of sin and death and into the eternal life that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have enjoyed within themselves for all eternity. And the question then, for each and every one of us, is a simple one. Are you born again? Have you experienced the new birth? Have you looked to Jesus Christ for the fullness of what you need? And have you let go of your own efforts? But because, beloved, you and I, because of the inheritance of original sin, you and I can never be blank slates. And the turning of a calendar day cannot change that state of original sin. But beloved, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is a newness that now exists where what Nicodemus was expecting to happen at the end has been brought forward into the present. And at the heart of, of, of those questions within ourselves, when we are looking at the newness of a new year and the things that we would like to see new in us and the things that we would like to see new around us, so often the crippling question is, can the grip of the past be broken? Can the grip of the past be broken? Can the sins that I have been cultivating into my life from the beginning of my first breath, can those patterns and can that power be broken? But more importantly, can the sins that I have received from others and those different patterns that that I have worked within myself as coping mechanisms to deal with with other sins against me, can the grip of that past be broken? And the answer is yes. But not because it is now 2024. But because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is sown into your hearts, by the Holy Spirit, in which what you will be, you are not only accounted to be, but is already at work within you. For Nicodemus, what, what this meant is the man who came by, by darkness 
to have this conversation with Jesus. Once Jesus was crucified, he would go with boldness in order to demand to be given Jesus' body. And the one who was a ruler in Israel, which brought with it power and prestige, he participated in preparing Jesus' body for burial, which was the work of slaves, servants, and women. What did it mean for Nicodemus to embrace the Christ who was lifted up? It meant he lived into his newness in ways that would have been considered shocking, that would have been considered completely uh, inappropriate for a man of his status. But that's what the new birth does in your life, beloved. When the old is broken and when the new has come, is it changes the way we see ourselves because we can now see the kingdom of God. And it changes the way we live because we are those who have entered that kingdom. This is the only place where the Apostle John uses the phrase kingdom of God in his gospel. And what he clearly intends for us to, to see and what he is saying is that the new heavens and the new earth that have been promised have come in Christ Jesus. And when you see it, and when you live as one who is part of it, beloved, the old has passed away, the new has come, the power of the past has been broken, and the reality of the future is already operating within you. Beloved, this reality that was promised as the substance of the new covenant is applied to God's people in the sign and seal of baptism by water. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you have not left us In our darkness and in our death, you have not left us in our rebellion. You have not left us to our efforts. You have not left us to our own goodness. You have not left us to the arbitrary whims of the change of a calendar day. And you have not, Lord, you have not left us to to being dependent upon becoming a blank slate. For even if you provided us a blank slate, Father, we would continue to carry out the rebellion of our first father, Adam. 
And so we praise you that you have given us Jesus Christ, not to give us a blank slate, not just simply to forgive our sins today. But you have given us one that not only has has achieved what was necessary for our sins to be forgiven, but you have granted us the full record of his righteousness, which was needed for us to be made fit for your kingdom. And so, Father, we pray that as as we start this new year, that, that we would embrace the newness of this new year and allow it to direct us to the newness of who we are in Jesus Christ. So that we as individuals and, and, and that we as a corporate body of Christ might strive through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the means of grace that have been applied to us in, in the waters of baptism to strive to live up to our newness in Christ as we bear witness to something greater than ourselves and something greater than self-efficacy as we direct people to Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would cultivate the realities of our baptism every day so that we would live in the newness of the new birth, giving up power in order to use it for the benefit of others, giving up status in order to draw others into the status of Christ, giving up our past so that we would pursue the the newness of the future that has been made present. As we see the baptism that is coming, Lord, may we be reminded of our own and the power that it provides us to be those who live in your presence, both now and forevermore, as those who have become participants in the life, love, and ministry of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.